0: We're into the study of the Lord's Prayer. What we're talking about is just trying to, I I thought we would just do it for a few weeks, but it's it's getting dissecting even this morning, just taking one little phrase. There's so much there, we could be here until Christmas. But we're talking in Matthew chapter 6, and it's a a familiar passage. Some of you were in junior churches or other things, and so join me as we read together. You just follow along, starting in Matthew chapter 6, to get the gist of what Jesus is saying and doing when you pray. You shall not be as the hypocrites are, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues in the corners of the streets, that they may be seen of men. Verily I say, they have their reward. But you, when you pray, enter into your closet, and when you have shut the door, pray to your father which is in secret, and your father which sees in secret, he'll reward you openly. But when you pray, use not vain repetitions as the heathen do, for they think that they shall be heard because they are much speaking. Be not ye therefore like unto them. For your father knows what things you have need of before you ask him, and so after this manner, therefore pray ye. Our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done in earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. What we've talked about so far is something really simple. We said that Jesus is telling the peoples here that he wants them to pray. That's clear when you pray. I tell you to pray after this fashion over and over. But the point that we're making this morning is he wants us to pray effectively. That is not just to go through the motions, but to have something happen when we pray. Something happen to us something happened to events around us, and so God is interested in making our prayer to be impacting. And as He's and to help us to do that, He's going to give us instruction. He's going to tell us, "Here's how you need to do it." I know that um, years ago there, there was the time that I thought I needed to do things with the boys to just try to spend more time never played sports much before. And so I'd never played basketball at all before. And so several years ago I thought I need to learn how to play basketball since my boys are taller than me and they, they are interested in it. I need to be able to do something with them in that regard. And so I tried to pick up and for learn how to dribble a ball and do a few of those things. I was hopeless and helpless as a case. And so they got more laughter out of our playing sports than any kind of competition. So I thought I need to come up with something else to give instruction, to try to teach them something. I thought... You know, we have some really avid hunters in this area, especially in this church. So I'll go to them and I'll ask them to give me some instruction and then I'll teach the boys how to hunt. Uh, that was a mistake as well. Okay? They, they ended up doing much better than me, even though there was a few moments that we needed to learn. And then, since we did it, the best of all of our hunters was our daughter Shelly, that she learned how. And so it was just, But it was those training times, those fun times. I remember as a parent saying, okay, kids need to learn how to drive, so we have to teach them to the drive. Deb, you do it. Uh, because I knew my nerves would be shot and the first time we're out, we're with one of the kids. They're pulling up to the post office they took off the mirror off of our car uh, because they got too close to the mailbox. A little bit more instruction was needed. There was desire, but there needed to be instruction. There's desire in a lot of things, but we need better instruction. Jesus says there's desire, you need instruction. And he gets very practical in this passage of giving instruction. And here's some of the things that we've talked about so far. He says that when we pray in order to improve our prayer life, we should set aside a moment, a moment of every day. Minutes, I should say, not just a a few few seconds, but a period of time that every day we have a retreat with God. We go someplace, someplace private, someplace that we can get alone with Him, and we make this a daily communication time. Set a place, set a time that's convenient in your schedule, which is going to be impacting for you to pray. We said as well, you got to make sure there's a relationship. Our Father, which art in heaven, make sure you're born again. We had a whole lesson on that this morning. We talked about this aspect: reverence. Jesus introduces reverence in this text. He introduces it by saying, when you pray, our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. And we talked about that reverence being, re, being, uh, being involving the idea of praising him, giving him glory, understanding our purpose in existence is his glory. Even our purpose when praying should be, I want to glorify him. I want to magnify him. Let me develop that a little bit further this evening. Let's take another aspect of reverence. Reverence in pursuing God's will. Being when we pray, being willing to do what he wants. Where he makes the comment, thy kingdom come, thy will be done. There's just too much. That even somebody as lengthy and verbose as me isn't going to get it all in. So let me just take one of these phrases tonight. Let's just talk about this aspect, thy kingdom come. What does he mean when he's praying here and saying, okay, or when he's instructing and saying, I want you to pray, thy kingdom come. What's that mean? Now, I don't know if I've got a handle on this totally, but using the wisdom that others have written about, others have spoken about, let me give you three ideas that they give. Well, when you pray, thy kingdom come, three different aspects of what it could mean. First of all, let's make sure we understand what we're saying. Thy kingdom come, the idea that he's talking about here is we get the, the wording, the idea is that, uh, that comes from a word that shows up frequently in our Bible. That idea of Basilia, The idea that we get sometimes, even from the old English, that developed that basilica or large building. And people think of these different physical aspects right away when they hear the word. Some of us had the privilege just recently, and a number of you have done this over the years. That we've gone to different areas in Europe. Some of you have been in the region of Portugal. Some of you in Romania and some in other regions where they have a lot of these different castles. That they have these kingdom ideas, where they have those buildings that remind you right away of a kingdom, of a, of a lord and a vassal. And you have all these different objects that you can climb all over. And some of you have been there on other trips, have seen a wide variety of different buildings in Portugal. Than ones I'm showing you, you've been here at the Tower of Besse, uh, um Bellum, Bellum or Bethlehem in their translation. The idea of another one is there in the river. And so we have all these different castles. There was one group we took to this place. And it was all decked out where they lived and not just for protection, but they lived. And so you have these ideas. Is that what he means? Your kingdom, bring this castle down from heaven. You know, some of you, when you think of kingdom, you think of the happy place, you know, kingdom. Or you might even think about the games of building your own kingdoms, and the fairy tales, and the elves, and the ogres, and as well, Shrek. Okay, What is Jesus talking about? It wasn't Shrek, I'll guarantee you that. He wasn't around. Okay, What was he talking about when he says, thy kingdom come? I think it's this idea. The idea is your rule. Your, your rule, your reign, your authority it's not just a building but he's talking about the the leadership the the control of it and when he says i want this to come again it's an imperative he says From an inferior to a superior. We're praying this way as a subordinate. When we use the imperative to somebody over us, it's not a command, it's a plea. It's an urgent request. It's the idea of let this come quickly. Let this happen now. Bring this to pass in our life. Let your rule and your reign happen real soon. Well, what exactly is the rule and reign? Which one is he referring to? It could be this it could be one of these three ideas. It could be that he is saying when we pray, what we should do is we should be praying for the universal rule of Jesus Christ. That is that at a time when Jesus Christ does introduce a kingdom, a rule and a reign here on earth. There are multiple Bible passages that talk about this. We can go all the way back in the Old Testament that predicts that one day the son of man, God will send him to set up a kingdom which shall never be destroyed, a kingdom that shall not be left to other people, a kingdom that shall break into to pieces and consume all those other kingdoms, and his kingdom shall stand forever. We know it's predicted that when Jesus came as a child, it said, Unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. Then it described his kingdom. It says, Of the increase or expansion of his government and the peace, there shall be no limitations. It will be universal. He will sit upon the throne of David, he will order and establish his kingdom. With judgment, with justice, and there it'll last forever and ever. Is that what he is saying? Quite possibly. Lord, please come and set up your kingdom. That time when it says and predicted that the Son of Man shall come in his glory and with his holy angels then shall he sit upon the throne of his glory. That Jesus predicted would happen and he gave us all kinds of details in the book of Revelation and gave us the specifics that he is going to come from heaven riding that horse ready to establish with his army the kingdom on earth and out of his mouth goes the sharp sword he will rule with a rod of iron this is possibly what he is referring to. He is saying that when we are praying, we should be praying that Jesus Christ, we would desire you to set up your kingdom, and don't you wish it would start soon. When that kingdom comes, remember, everything's going to change. There's no longer going to be the pollution that can be a problem. I know that the U.S. is blamed for a lot, and rightfully so, we have done our part of sharing in pollution. I think I saw some of it the other night. After the fireworks, we were headed for home, and we stopped over at the sheet south of town in 72. I think we saw Pollution City. A whole bunch of young people were there with their pickup trucks. And I think the contest was who could blow the most black smoke out of their pickup truck for that half-hour period of time. Okay, we know that this is a problem. We understand. We understand that it can be an issue. And there will be no problem environmentally one day when the kingdom comes. But even better than that, there's going to be no more storms. No more fires, no more hurricanes as we approach that season. No tornadoes, no earthquakes when that kingdom comes. There's going to be no poverty, no famine. We will not hear or read about or be moved by seeing the pictures of people who are going hungry around the world. The AIDS victims who are starving in South Africa where Dave and Julie are working amongst those camps, they won't be there anymore. They'll be, they'll be stopped. That will be done with. We will not have to make hospital visits anymore. You aren't going to have to go to the doctor. And you won't have to deal with health insurance anymore. That will be a blessing. Because when the kingdom comes, everything will change. When the kingdom comes, there's no, no more fear of terrorist attacks. When the kingdom comes, we won't have lawlessness in the streets. We won't have police assassinated. There'll be an end to it. When the kingdom comes, even the public officials who deserve to go to jail, they will be punished. There won't be any more of this, let's get away with things because of a name or because of popularity. We understand justice will be justice in that kingdom. We understand when the kingdom comes, there's no more fear of war. There's no more Middle East conflicts. It'll be done. And the best of all, there will no longer be death. We will no longer have to go down to the, to the mortuary and buy or the undertaker's place, funeral home, and buy the caskets and go through those types of things. It's done when the kingdom comes. No wonder, he says, this is something we should pray for. We should say, God, please bring your kingdom. Let it happen. In fact, let me encourage you this way. This is a biblical way of praying. He even prays this way at the end of the book of Revelation where he says, Lord, come quickly. Even so, come so to pray, let your kingdom come to this earth and let me be a part of that, that is reasonable that he could be talking about that. In fact, if we were to pray that way and we and have a time where we are thinking, we are asking him, your kingdom come, that would help us. That would help us to pause every day in our daily prayer and think through the Lord could come back today. The Lord could come back today. The Lord could come back in that first phase of his coming, the rapture. He could come back several years later, come and set up his kingdom. But it could happen. In fact, we need those reminders, don't we? Because he says there is a crown for those who love his appearing. And if we remind ourselves in our daily prayer time, even so come quickly. That can be of help. It definitely would help you and me. Maybe Well, me more than you. To make sure I'm living in such a way and remind myself to, that this day, in spite of all the busyness of what we have to do, you could be coming back. So make sure that I'm doing that which is priority, that which is lasting, that which is pleasing. So is there the aspect, could be that he says, when he, when he prays your kingdom come, could he be referring to us reminding ourselves that we want him to come back to take us home to heaven? Could that be the concept? Possibly. You know, there are a lot of people in the world that are preparing right now after spending weeks, months, even years getting ready for the upcoming Olympics. They will have gone through all kinds of physical exercise. They will have disciplined themselves to get up early in the morning, which to me is just wrong. But they get up early in the morning. They do all those exercises. They even go to the extreme of they eat right and healthy. Why? Because they want a reward. They want to win a reward that is going to be A very important reward. Winning an Olympic medal, that's quite a feat. But it won't last. You and I have the chance of earning eternal rewards. Crowns. Shouldn't we therefore be a little bit more disciplined? Shouldn't we say daily, hey, I've got to reflect on my time every day. Am I really working, laboring for that which is eternal? Well, if we pray, thy kingdom come on a daily basis. It'll help us to remember that. You know, when we talk about the kingdom, I want to mention this for a couple minutes and see if I offend a whole bunch of you, but that's okay. Because I think this is biblically right. We are in the middle of political season here in America. It's chaotic. That's an understatement, is it not? Okay, But let's put it all in perspective. I love and appreciate America, and I think you do too. We, are, we appreciate the lands, the freedom, we appreciate our history, we appreciate our ancestry. And so there's something good about that. And as citizens, we should do our part in helping righteousness to the best that we can. We know we're limited, we understand all that. But to try to be the salt, the light, we should exercise what privileges we have in order to try to make a difference. We understand that. We want that to happen. And yet, as we do this, I want you to remember something. America is not God's kingdom here on earth. The United States is not God's kingdom. The United States is not going to last forever. It is one of those many kingdoms that will be destroyed when the Son comes to set up his, many, his kingdom. And again, I don't, even, I don't mean by that that America will be around when Jesus comes back. We don't know. We don't know that time frame. But I do know this, that when we pray for God's kingdom, we are not praying that America is going to become the universal kingdom of God upon this earth. That isn't biblically correct. So though I love my country, and though I want my country to do what is right and to make an impact, what I have to remember is I have a citizenship in a better, bigger, more important country. It's a heavenly country. And so as a citizen of that heavenly country, I need to remember that country will last forever. And that's the country of all that I need to promote most of all. I want to have an impact here, but at the the same time, it isn't just about America. You and I as born-again Christians are citizens of a greater kingdom, and that's the kingdom that we should be most urgently promoting and sharing and talking about is, are you ready for the kingdom of Jesus Christ? Are you ready if he were to return to take you to heaven and then years later come back again and bring you to here where you would be living in that kingdom? So you and I need to be advocating the eternal kingdom of Jesus Christ more than any other country or uh, or government establishment. So with that in mind, let's take and let's say... What is he talking about? The universal rule of Christ. That could be the idea. Some have suggested another type of rule of Jesus Christ. It is this. That when we pray that kingdom come, what we're talking about is the spiritual conversion of men's souls. Is that a possibility? I think so. I think it is a a good possibility. Lord, when your kingdom comes, what we're saying is let this kingdom come now into the hearts of other people. That is, let's develop it. That is not the physical kingdom that Jesus at time talked about, but it is the other kingdom that Jesus talked about, the spiritual kingdom. That when he was doing his work here on earth, he talked about a kingdom within men's hearts. He talked about a kingdom having, having been present at the time that he was ministering. And he wasn't talking about the physical rule and reign upon the earth, but rather the conversion of souls. Let me show you what I mean by that. When Jesus is standing before Pontius Pilate, he is, he is talking about kingdoms. And he says, my kingdom is not of this world. It's not something that's right now, right here at this time. But my kingdom that is going to come, it is already some aspects of it are here. And so my kingdom that he refers to, is a, it has a spiritual aspect idea. And so we read in Luke where he's talking to some of the Pharisees and they are saying, well, what about the kingdom? How do we know when the kingdom, when are you going to establish the kingdom you've been talking about? He makes a comment. He says, The kingdom that I am promoting at this time is not a kingdom that you would see by signs that you are looking for, observable, taxable, changes of government. He doesn't say that. He says, the kingdom that I'm talking about now, that people can't run around and say, "Lo, here's that kingdom, here it is, he's marching in the city, he says, no, the kingdom I'm talking about is a kingdom within you, a kingdom in your hearts. A kingdom that you enter in by getting born again. Now after John was put in prison, Jesus came to Galilee and he preached the gospel, the good news of the kingdom of God. And he said the time is fulfilled. The kingdom of God is here right now. Even during my ministry, and it wasn't a physical aspect of a kingdom that he says, here it is, I'm overthrowing the government. He's talking about a kingdom that involves entrance, not through political activity, but through repentance and belief in the gospel. His idea... That he's presenting is there is a spiritual aspect of his kingdom that he had, that was introduced during his ministry and it's going to be culminated and fulfilled when his physical kingdom is here on earth. But that spiritual aspect is going on. He started it. It continued on through the ages. It involves entrance into it through inner belief. Conversation with one of the scribes, Master. You have said the truth that there is one God and there is none other that we should worship in him alone. And we need to love him with all of our hearts, to love our neighbors as ourselves is more than all the offerings. This guy who is talking to Jesus is a seeker and he is asking questions of Jesus and Jesus will respond to him and makes this comment. He said, you're not far from the kingdom of God. He's not talking about a physical kingdom. At this moment, he's talking about a spiritual understanding of being born again so that he would enter into, he would see the kingdom of God, that spiritual aspect. We have as well Jesus giving the parable of the great feast that some of you have been joining us in Sunday school, which we've been talking about, where he talks about this parable, and he says that the man has a great feast... And he invites all kinds of his neighbors who say, we'll come, we'll be there. But when the day arrives, all of a sudden, there's uh, all kinds of excuses. I bought bought some oxen, I gotta go check out. I bought some land, they need to see what I bought. I just got married, I can't come. So the master, in this parable, Jesus said, the master says, I've got all this food, I want people here for the celebration. Go into into the parking lot and get those who are maimed, ill, and the poor. Those who were put down by the Pharisees. Tell them to come. There's still room. He says, go out and go into the, into the roads, the highways, the byways, and invite perfect strangers, the Gentiles. And what he's talking about here is he's telling these people that they were invited to a spiritual feast that God is preparing for them. And yet they have rejected, they haven't believed, so he's going to open this up. And he does in the book of Acts. He opens it up to the Gentiles and to many others. Jesus did that in his ministry. Those who were pompous and arrogant, he stops working with them and he starts going towards those who are the poor, the lame, the publicans, the tax collectors, all the different people, the the skullduggery in their mind of the society Jesus invites to his kingdom concept. He says, I want you and I want my servants, by example, to be inviting others to this spiritual kingdom that I'm talking about. So when we pray, thy kingdom come, there can be the aspect of the physical kingdom in the future. There can be the aspect of getting into a relationship with Jesus Christ right now, the king of kings who would free you from the bondage of sin. The idea is believing. People coming to believe so that they're born again and they have accepted that message, the good news of the kingdom, getting saved. And so, God, I pray that your kingdom would come into the lives of my neighbors. I pray that your kingdom would come into the lives of my co-workers, my boss, my relatives, my family. I plead with you, please let this happen, that souls would be saved for your glory. That they would believe that you are the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords. So that this, at this moment, they would experience the spiritual aspects of the kingdom. And then in the future, they would experience all the other aspects that would be culminated in the physical, aspect, the physical um, blessings of it. It's having the same concerns that Jesus had. Because he came for one reason, to seek and to save that which was lost. I have a question for you. Okay. Is it in your heart that you desire to see souls saved? Hmm. You know, we like to do a lot of things. We go to Hershey Park, we ride the rides or wherever you want to ride. And usually you see people get off and they say, wow, that was so good. I just got my brains knocked all over the place. You know, my stomach's turned over and I want to do it again, okay? It's something that's fun. Some of you, you have different ideas of what's fun. You have that peaceful, short time experience. Some of you, you think this is fun. Playing sports is fun. Getting hot and sweaty and just wearing yourself out. And you do it again and again and again. Because it is fun for you. Some of you think going certain places. They are absolutely the cat's meow. It is the greatest place. I'll advise you and say Williamsburg is one of the best. Okay, just because I'm biased. And we have all these things that we we like to do. In fact, some of us, Got to see a whole bunch of fireworks. And every time we heard some of the booming and the banging, we would run to the next spot to see those fireworks because they were cool. And we wanted to see them again and again and again. When we like something, we say, again. One, uh, one of the grandkids, granddaughter, she likes when I fly her around. So she just comes and says, Papa, fly. And then she jumps. And I'm supposed to catch her, and usually I do, okay? And then it's just fly, and it never fails. I can fly around the foyer and shh, shh. Sh- and when I stop and put her down, she has one word. Yeah, and she doesn't even say again. She just says, again, again. That's the most she can do, again. And it's fly me some more, fly me some more. Why is that? She likes it. And by the way, why do I do it? I like it. I'm spoiling her, and that's cool. Then she can just get you know, get spoiled by me and go home, and her parents have to undo all of my damage. I love it. Okay. But we like certain things, and we want it again and again and again. Can I ask you an honest question? Seriously. Seriously. Not to be silly. Not to be, not to be dumb. Do you like to see souls saved? To the point that you repeatedly pray for it? That's maybe what he's suggesting here. Help me to remember daily. The purpose is you being glorified by seeing people born again. I mean, do you like to see people saved enough that on a daily basis you pray about it and then you do something about it? You put yourself out to invite. You go on your webpage and you make sure things there will help to enhance your testimony. You have some of those tracks in your pocket. You take opportunity to talk. You invite kids to the VBS. We have revival meetings in a couple of weeks with Joe Mark. We'll do a full day Sunday, a Wednesday, and a full day Sunday, and the following Wednesday as well. You will hear simple, potent, powerful salvation messages. Enough that you are going to say, again, again, God, again, I am going to labor, I want you to save some souls. That you will do something about it. Well he says what I'm supposed to do in my prayer life. And that's his advice is when I come to him I praise him. And in my praising and in my worship I'm saying your kingdom comes. I want you to rule and reign quickly upon this earth. But in the meantime while you are tearing I want souls to be saved. Where you rule and reign in their hearts. And as I think of that that helps me in my prayer life. Not just to be thinking about my needs, my wants, my difficulties, my problems, my, my, my prayer list. But to pray for the lost. And to put them before God. And to plead for them. Like the Apostle Paul said. That he was so burdened for his his kinsmen that he pled for them to get born again. That's where it starts. Jesus said we're supposed to be praying the Lord of the harvest. We're supposed to, in the book of Acts, be praying for boldness. I think sometimes we're so busy in our prayer life. With our own difficulties, we forget the lostness of people around us. What about you? Thy kingdom come. Aspect of a physical kingdom, an aspect of a spiritual kingdom in converting souls. There's a third aspect that it can involve. It can involve you and me. Saying, your kingdom come, that is your rule, your reign in my heart. Not just in the heart of the lost, but in my heart. That seems to fit even better in this text where he says, thy kingdom come, thy will be done. Seems to go right along hand in hand with that. Where he is saying, I want to be totally yielded to you. That would make sense. Hallow your name. I want to exalt you. I yield myself to you. I surrender totally And saying it clearly to God from the depths of your heart. That you say, God, your kingdom, which involves more than a physical aspect. Your kingdom, according to Romans, is not just eat and drink. Your kingdom in Romans is righteousness in my life. Your kingdom is peace and joy that the Holy Spirit provides. I want this. I need this. I give you my heart. Your kingdom, as we read, is something that I'm supposed to seek after and not worry, not get caught up, but be yielded into the point that I am trusting you and putting your things first in this life. Seeking first the kingdom of God and his righteousness here and now in this life. You ruling, you reigning, you controlling you and me, not, not saying I serve the Lord and I love the Lord, but all of a sudden we get distracted with the cars, the homes, the jobs, the sports, and all those things that are good. And all of a sudden, having put our hand to the plow, we look back. What, ha- what does he say? If anybody does that, they're not fit for the kingdom. They aren't letting Christ rule and reign in their heart. And he's challenging his readers to make sure that they are yielded on a continuous, regular basis. Thy kingdom come is a reminder every day for you and me. To say, God, you need to rule in my heart. Right now, I'm anxious for your physical kingdom. But if I let you rule and reign in my heart, I will not have regrets when you come back. I will not be ashamed. I want souls to be saved. That's important. But they're not going to be saved if I don't let you rule and reign in my heart right now. So God, this is it. I surrender. This is my part of glorifying you, reverently coming before you when I pray. I praise you and I yield to you before I start asking for anything. I surrender all. And so he says to us that that idea of thy kingdom come is being very sensitive to obeying the commands of Jesus Christ, living like he wants us to live, doing stuff that he wants us to do right now, not just someday in the future. Oh, I hope your kingdom comes where we'll be able to really live better for you. It'll be, be easier for us, no doubt. But God, I want you to be magnified right now by my heart attitude. I don't want to be distracted. I don't want to mar your name. God, I want to live up to the way the kingdom citizens are supposed to live. In fact, in the book of of Matthew, where he gives that sermon. He gives us how we're supposed to conduct ourselves in this time period. Like kingdom citizens. And it's not on, only in the future when the kingdom is here because persecution is taking place. And he tells us how to respond to that. In fact, he tells us how to live here and now as kingdom citizens. And he gives us all kinds of aspects of living where he is ruling and reigning so we're honest. We're pure. We even pluck out an eye, cut off an arm if we're tempted. We're charitable, that we give alms. In our marriages, we work at them. That what we do is we try to live at peace with others. If they ask us to carry something, you know, a period of time, we'll, we'll go three miles instead of the one mile. That you and I are working on fasting and praying, that we are laying up treasures in heaven. We are not given to worry and distress. We aren't being a hypocrite. We're avoiding false teachers. We're getting under the word of God. Those are kingdom activities where he is ruling and reigning in our hearts right now. We're not saying rakah to people. We're willing to go and rectify things immediately. And even if we remember that somebody has ought against, we leave our gift and we go and take care of it. That's kingdom living. And that's what I think he is talking about at this moment. We should be willing to do that there's a true story that comes out of history that Lord Nelson, after he had defeated the French fleet in one of their battles, he was meeting with the French admiral at at the point of surrender. And the French admiral, when he was coming to meet him and to surrender, stuck out his hand as if to shake, you know, and to do something familiar and something that was a respectful fashion. Lord Nelson stood back and said, no. Not until you give me your sword first. What was he saying? Before we are going to act like friends, you've got to have total surrender. You need to fulfill your duty of surrender first. I wonder if God says, I want to have friendship with you, I want to have fellowship with you, And and I will through prayer. But one of the first things I want you to do is I want you to recognize who I am I am your conqueror, I am your Lord. I want your surrender, first and foremost. That's not me And when I pray. When I pray, I typically don't do that. I don't come before God saying, you know, the praising and the the rehearsing his qualities. I I don't come and saying, I surrender all. Usually when I pray, it's get in there and give requests. We get together as a staff on Sunday mornings and during our prayer time. As I was listening to the others pray and, and thinking about prayer, the prayer aspect, I know where I go. Usually in those moments, it's like, okay, help the lights to work. And I'm concerned that the lights work. I'm concerned that our air conditioning works. Because if it doesn't work, you aren't going to listen real well. I'm concerned and have prayed every day this week that this isn't going to be a problem with you. So that you learn something from the word. And it's not just a, um, you know, an activity that's wasted. But at the same time, not just throwing requests before the Lord. I've been challenged this week to say, come and reverence God. Come before him and make it clear to God Almighty. I respect you. I reverence you. I want to praise you instead of just, here God, I'm so busy. Here's my request for the day. Please take care of it. And out the door we go. God, I'm taking time to worship and magnify you. And part of that is saying, I surrender all. I want you to be magnified and honored through your kingdom, through the way I respond and souls getting saved. And it's got to be clear. Do you remember the stories told back at the end of World War II about a confusion in the Japanese response to the Potsdam Ultimatum? Do you remember this this account? that the allies had said, Japan, are you willing to surrender? Are you willing to surrender? And the prime minister responded with this word, mokusatsu. That was interpreted to the United States and to the others as a total rejection. A total rejection of the ultimatum that said absolute unconditional surrender or another bomb. Mokusatsu. In the Japanese language, that doesn't mean we reject. It means we're thinking about it you know, wait, we're not ready. Because they needed time to think about it. But it was in the translation that came into the English, it was total rejection, a second bomb dropped within a couple days of getting that response. The problem was that many lost their lives because there wasn't clarity by the Japanese or by others listening of what they were meaning and what they meant. They have to be clear. They had to be clearer to say, we need time to think this through. And it wouldn't have had been that second bomb and those many, many more that died. I wonder how many times we aren't clear with God. Where we are saying, well, Lord, yeah, I, I kind of want to surrender, but I want to hold back. And we give him a mokusatsu. And then we don't have that impact in our prayer life. We don't have that thrill in our prayer life. Part of it is because we aren't clear. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done is simple and clear. I surrender to you. I'm giving you my all. Even in my daily prayer life. I would encourage you that when you pray tomorrow, that you have your retreat time, That what you do as well is you take those moments and you praise him. You reverence him. But you make it clear from the depths of your heart, I am surrendered to you. Your kingdom come. Now, you might have to do that this evening. Maybe you've been holding back. Well, it's no longer time to hold back. This is the time to surrender. To say, God, use me. God, save souls. God, I yield my heart to you.